Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Last week, we addressed the fact that we are not spiritual zombies. We are not walking dead. As far as the old self is concerned, we have died in Christ. But notice the wording, we have died. It's past, it's done, it's gone. It's no longer the case. We're no longer dead. But we are made alive in Christ. And that is something that is continuous. It's something that continues on. I would like to invite all of us today to ask ourselves a question, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? Look at this event. Look at what happened when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And think, think with me, please, because if, if we look at Jesus as having just died for us, then we still have no hope, no hope whatsoever. He would be what? Well, he would be perhaps another hero. It may be in a great teacher who taught great things and was caught, executed, and killed. Even We may even regard him as another one of those supposed to be messiahs who came and went. Back in those days, there were quite a few people because of their desire to be free, the Jewish desire to be free from the invaders, from the Romans. There were people who self-appointed themselves as messiahs, and they caused trouble, they stirred up people in rebellion, and then eventually got captured and executed, and end of the story. Now, if we look at Jesus only as a historical figure, and someone who died for us, then he would not be any different from many others who have come and gone, and we would still have no hope. Now, imagine, however, being one of the disciples. Imagine being one of the 120 that were around him. You have followed him for years. You've been with him. You have seen a lot of things. You've seen him feeding a crowd with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. You've seen him walking on waters. You've seen him raising the dead. You've seen him healing the sick. And you were hoping. You were hoping that finally that Messiah, that king that was to restore Israel, had finally come until you saw him captured, beaten to a pulp, scourged, then crucified, killed. Peter himself at that time was asked, aren't you one of his followers? And three times he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know him. Then someone gave a gift. And by the way, a very special gift. Not too many people can afford to have a tomb carved into the rock. But Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, could. And he had prepared for his burial and the burial of the people close to him because usually burials like that were family burials and only family could be in there. And there was this idea that 
strangers, other people could not be buried in the same location. Joseph gave it all up, gave and donated a tomb and said, bury him there. And that's where Mary Magdalene went to. She came to the tomb, and she came to the tomb in an act of love. She was serving Jesus, even after he had died, because she was carrying spices and oil to tend to the body and finish that burial that they had done very much in a hurry just a few days before. But when she came to the tomb, when she came to the tomb, there was nobody there. She didn't find anyone, and she got frightened. Imagine that for a second, all right? A loved one being buried, and then you go to offer, put maybe in our modern day, to put some flowers on the grave, and you find there is nobody there. It's gone. And she ran back and told the disciples, that, that he's gone, he's gone, he's not there. Well, John and Peter ran to the tomb. They ran to the tomb. They went to the tomb. To do what? Think of, think, think of that for a second. Put yourself in their shoes. Why would they run to the tomb? To see for themselves, right? To see for themselves what Mary was talking about. But to see what? What did they find in the tomb? Did they find a body there? Did they find someone who was still laying there because he had been killed? But my question now at this point is, have I come to the tomb? Have you come to the tomb? Have you found out for yourself about this Jesus who was dead, but he's not dead, he's alive? Have you found for yourself what it means to see an empty, empty tomb? To give up the old notion of a Jesus who's dead, to embrace a new notion of a Jesus who is very much alive. See, Mary Magdalene didn't stop there. She went to tell John and Peter. She went to the tomb with them. They expected Jesus to be there, just like sometimes we expect ourselves to be dead. There's a lot of talking about being dead to sin, being dead to sin. Yes, okay, I understand. But sometimes in that talking, what we hear people saying is, I still need to die to my sin. You know, let me tell you something very personal right now. Just like all of you, I had to struggle with sins that were difficult to get rid of. Just all of you have done the same thing. Maybe some of you are still doing that. And like many of you, I have struggled with them sometimes with all I got and tried and failed. So I tried harder and failed harder. So I tried even harder and it felt in such a way that the only illustration I can give sometimes when I talk with people, the only illustration it's like I can give is just running against a brick wall. And sometimes I actually do, when I talk to somebody that needs to understand that, I actually do. I get up and I physically walk to a, to a wall and obviously I fall back. So what are we taught to do? What is the t traditional teaching that we are supposed to do? Well, try harder, right? Because then perhaps you'll overcome your sin, right? And so you back up a little more, take a little more, you know, distance, run a little harder, and wham! Hit that wall even harder and fall back even harder. God knows how much I've done that. God knows how much I struggle with issues that were besetting my life and taking over my life until I, it dawned on me enough trying to do something that is done already. What are you talking about? That concept that we talked about last week of a spiritual zone, enough trying to die when you're already dead. Because if I keep trying to die when I'm already dead, you know what I'm doing? I'm living in function of that sin. And I'm going to try to struggle against the sin of my own strength and my own energy and my own will and my own whatever. But you know what? I can't do it, and neither can you. So then I find myself asking the question, then what? And that's where the empty tomb comes into the picture. 
Jesus is not dead. And if I have died in him, past tense, I am no longer dead in him because he is alive. He is risen. And in his rising, in his life, in the newness of his life, I have newness of life as well. Therefore, enough trying to do what I can now do. What about surrendering to him and living in him as I am supposed to do and called to do? Jesus never said, be righteous. Jesus said, believe in me, follow me, and I will work it out in you. And you know what? When I finally got on my knees, when I finally got on my knees and said, God, I can't do that. That's called confession, by the way. Confession doesn't mean, God, look how good I am. God, look how strong I am. Look at all these things I've been able to overcome right? Confession means you get on your knees and you pour your heart out and you say, God, I can't do it. I want to so bad, but I can't. But you, you can in me. And so here I am, Lord. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Enough dying, enough being dead. I am no longer dead. I am alive in you. So please, you live your life in me. Remember Paul writing to the Galatians in chapter 2 of the letter to the Galatians in verse 20. He says, I'm being crucified with Christ, past tense. And the life I now live, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Oh yeah, he had been crucified, past tense, but he's alive in Christ because Christ is alive in us. And if we surrender to that, and if we allow him to work in us, and we stop trying to work things out on our own, that doesn't mean we don't do anything, by the way. We looked at it last week, and for the benefit of you, those of you who weren't here, Paul answers that question. Should we, because the grace of God is so amazing, because the grace of God is so awesome, should we then continue to sin, and his grace may abound? And then he says, God forbid, no way. But there's a big difference between me and you trying to be righteous on our own and surrendering to him and walking in him in his newness of life in our newness of life in him there is a tremendous difference because one is my work or your work and that doesn't go very far but the other one it's his work in us and lo and behold when i finally got there when i finally began to understand that and got on my knees and confessed to god that i couldn't do it but i wanted him to do it in me you know what happened i went past that wall I went past that wall not because of my strength. I went past that wall not because of my will, not because of any of that. I mean, yes, I wanted to, but it was him at work in me finally because the lesson that we learn in life, brothers and sisters, the lesson that we learn in life is not that we are righteous. It's not that we are superhuman. The lesson we learn in life is to trust God who has started a work in us and he's going to complete it because he promised to do so. Not because we chose him, but because he chose us. Not because we died for him, but because he died for us. Not because we live for him, but because he lives for us and in us. That's why. It's kind of funny to see here how John and Peter didn't quite catch the message at that moment, right? He looked at the passage and he said, John and Peter went there, you know, they ran to the grave, they ran to the tomb. John ran even faster. He got there first and, and, and Peter hesitated a little bit. Then he finally looked inside and they saw that Jesus was not there and they were puzzled by that. So what do they do? They go home. And I, I look at that and I smile, you know, okay, here, they go home right? They just go home, shaking their heads probably along the way. They go home and, and what? What would you and I do if we just look at that, if we look at the miracle of a resurre resurrection and just, just go home? 
What's it going to be for you to be here today, right? You are here today. You are here right now. And you're not here right now by chance or by accident. You're here right now because God wanted you to be here right now. And you listen to this and you listen to his word and you read that passage from the Bible and then you just go home. But one person didn't. Mary Magdalene did not go home. She stayed there. She was crying. She was crying and she looked inside that tomb. And because she looked at the tomb again, because she looked inside again, because she said, I want to know, I want to see, she saw two angels. Now, as she looked inside, what was she expecting to see? Was she expecting to see Jesus back inside there? Was she expecting to see the tomb empty as she saw that earlier? And I suspect that she looked inside almost incredulous, expecting to see an empty grave. Have you come to the tomb yet? Have you come to the tomb and looked inside to see that tomb empty yet? Or do you still think it is filled with a dead Christ? Because if it is filled with a dead Christ, then you and I have no hope. But if a tomb is empty, then there is something to it. And as she looked at the empty tomb, she saw two angels and they asked her the question, why in the world are you crying? Um, okay, those, those are the, the, I call them the biblical questions, right? Like, you don't know why I'm crying? That Jesus going to this man next to the pool that he was waiting there for 30 years to be healed, right? And going there all the time, hoping to be healed. And Jesus goes to him and says, do you want to be healed? It's one of those questions that sometimes are asked in the scriptures. And they are asked not because the, the person asking, like in that case Jesus, or in this case the angels, don't know what the answer is. They are asked for our benefit. They are asked for us to think. That person at the pool needed to think, did he really want to be healed? And the answer was yes. So he was healed by Jesus, not by the pool. What was she crying about? She had to think about that. Why was she crying? She had to think. And as she was thinking about that, as the thought flushed her mind, and she probably was thinking about that question, why am I crying? Am I crying because he's not there? Am I crying because he died? Am I crying because, why am I crying right now? What is the reason for my emotions? And as she was thinking about that, she turned around and she saw Jesus. She saw the Lord himself. But at that moment, she just didn't see. She thought he was the gardener. And it's another thing that happened in the text here that amazes me. She still thinks he's the gardener. She asks him a question. And it wasn't until Jesus calls her by name that she recognizes him. So here, let me tell you something about that. As you come to the tomb, as you look inside, as you look at that empty tomb inside, and you turn around to face your life, that's when Jesus calls you by name. And that's the moment you can answer, teacher, Lord, Savior. But notice the mission he gave her. Jesus didn't just say, Mary, I'm okay, I'm alive. That seemed to be pretty self-evident. He gave him a mission, go tell the others that Savior, that one true God is calling you by name. As you look at the empty grave, as you realize that he is indeed not dead, but alive, very much alive, he's calling you by name and he wants to be alive in you. I heard so many people asking themselves and sometimes asking me if God would, could ever accept them, if God could ever have a relationship with them. And you know what? He does. He wants a relationship with you so much that he has given so much for them. He, the creator of all of all the universe made himself human to reach out to you. 
It took your sorrow, your burden, your heaviness, your sadness, your hopelessness to give you purpose and meaning. It took your grief to give you joy and encouragement. It took your fear to give you boldness and courage. I have no question whatsoever about what he wants, but I have to ask myself, what do I want? Do I want to answer him or do I want to ignore his calling? His sheep will recognize him. I hope you do too, because without him, we're absolutely nothing. So when you hear him calling, answer. As you hear him calling your name, respond and say, here I am, Lord, with all my junk. Here I am with all my filth. Here I am with all my problems. Here I am with all my pain. Here I am with all my grief, with all my weaknesses, with all my problems. Beaten down by life, but not destroyed. Hurt, but not overwhelmed, because I accept your call. Because I accept you, yes, as my Lord and Savior, but I accept you as my friend, as my brother. I wish I had the time to share with you the things he has in store for you, because I can guarantee you he would just boggle your mind. But that will be another day. For today, I invite you to, to come to that tomb and to find the courage, not the courage to die, but the courage to be alive. The courage to be alive in him. The courage to be alive for him. The courage to go out and tell others the good news that you have found there at that empty grave. Because the same mandate he gave his disciples, he gave to us. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I want to conclude with one thought. You came in, some of you as friends, some of you as strangers, but you will not leave as strangers. But the moment you walked through that door, that front door, the moment you set, you set your foot out of that door, you will enter your new life. You will enter your mission field. You will enter a place where you will show whether you have answered his calling or not. I'm not asking you to be super people. I'm not asking you to be super righteous. I'm not asking you to be hypocritical. I'm asking you to take your burdens and leave them right here. I'm asking you to take your filth and leave it right here at the foot of a cross. I'm asking you to be real. And in that reality, make a commitment with God. Not me, but you in me. And as you step out, step out to show his presence in you.